right now called uh, Mythbusters. You can see the sign right here in the graphics. Mythbusters. We are, we are debunking some myths in uh, Christianity that a lot of us have come to know and, and actually believe. And, um, and so we, we thought, you know what? Let's just, let's just share some truth and, and kind of make sure we're all on the same page. It, one thing that we find is, in fact, in this series, here's the series thought, is this. Um, understanding truth in the midst of common beliefs gives us something solid to build upon as well as repairs and prevents destructive cracks in our foundation. Our main verse for our series comes out of 2 Timothy 4, verse 3 and 4. It says, For the time is coming when people will not only, oh, I'm sorry, when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching, having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. And, uh, and each week I've been kind of sharing just some common myths um, just in our culture. Um, so, like, for instance, uh, in case any of you were, were wondering, maybe some of you were thinking about this on your way to church today, um, true or false, everyone get their thinking caps on, true or false, bananas grow on banana trees. Right? Everyone, no one, no one wants to answer. Everyone's a little, a little scared. Don't be scared. The answer is false. Though we call them banana trees, the plant that bears the fruit of bananas has no wood. In reality, it's a, oh, now it's a, this is a science term, herba- herbaceous? Herbaceous. Thank you. Thank you, Kathleen. Um, yeah, that made me feel really great. I, I know. I, the, Lord wants, the Lord does everything that He can do to keep us humble, right? <laughs> or it's a herb that um, it has to be planted. It has to be planted every year. So that's kind of a good thing to know about banana trees. Moving right along. I don't, why, do, why do we hang out so long on that one? Here, here's another one. You guys were probably wondering about this. In fact, all, my mother um, was wondering about this, right? In fact, my sister needs to know this. Cracking your knuckles too much will give you arthritis. True or false? Well, now, it's because every week it's false, you guys are all shouting out false. Well, so, you're right, it's false. It's false. The misconception here comes from the belief that the sound you hear when somebody gets a loud crack out of their knuckles is the sound of their, bone, their bones grinding against each other. But that's not the case. The noise comes from bubbles of air and gas bursting inside the joint, and studies have proven that that's not the sound of arthritis. In the research test conducted, not a single knuckle cracker studied later got arthritis. However, cracking one's knuckles could lead to other problems um, like relational issues. Uh, and decreased flexibility and ligament damage and all that stuff, right? Okay, last one, last one. You guys are probably wanting wanting to know this. What happens if you sit too close to the television screen? We've got four options here, all right? Number one, you could go blind. Number two, you could hurt your eyesight, so a little bit less, less extreme. Number three, you will get caught in a trance. Or number four, none of the above. All right? Let me see. Raise your hand if it's number one. 
We got number two, number two, number three, number four, none of the above. Anybody, none of the above, none of the above. What's the answer? Number four, none of the above. It could cause eye strain to sit and stare at a screen for long periods of time, but tests have proven that it does not cause blindness or even eye damage. What it will cause is problems in your relationships at home. So, there you go. In case you were all wondering, we just debunked a few myths for you this morning. So what's a myth? A myth is an unproved or false collective belief that is used to justify an established set of norms. And, uh, and so today, well, um, two weeks ago, we had the myth that Satan knows our thoughts. We debunked that. And really the whole idea was, was this, is that um, our thoughts are powerful, but they become exponentially more powerful when we speak them. And so we thought this, well, if Satan knows our thoughts, it gets me scared, makes me want to keep my, my thoughts inside, makes me not want to speak, and, and then I'm silent. And we're like, no, don't be silent. You can't defeat the enemy by thinking him away. You've got to defeat the enemy by speaking, right? So that was number one. That was myth number one. Myth number two was God wants you happy. You guys remember? Yeah, all right, you remember that one? A little, a little Pharrell Williams last week. And uh, so the myth was God wants you happy. The main thought was this. Happiness apart from God is temporary at best and destructive at worst. That we realize, you know what? God does delight in my happiness, but that's not his ultimate goal for my life. And a lot of times we walk around thinking that God just wants me happy, right? And there's actually uh, greater purpose. In fact, at the end of the day, and my wife actually gave this to me. I'm like, I'm struggling with this message. She's like, well, God just wants you. At the end of the day, he doesn't just want you happy. He just wants you. He wants a relationship with you. So um, myth number three, are you guys ready for it today? You probably saw it on your sermon notes, probably gave it all away. Myth number three, we aren't supposed to judge other people. Now, some of you are like, finally, he's going to preach it, brother. And some of you are like, oh, my goodness. I don't know. I don't know. All right, knock it off, sound man. All right, we aren't supposed to judge other people. We're, we're proposing this as a myth. In other, words, in, other, in other words, it's wrong that we're not supposed to judge other people. But wait a minute. The Bible says, right? The Bible says, Matthew 7, 1, judge not that you not be judged. In fact, that's probably the classic verse when people say, don't judge me. Have you ever, has anyone ever said that to you? Or maybe you've said it to somebody else, don't, don't judge me. Don't judge me, Right? There's probably, there's probably a few songs out there about that, right? There's probably a few YouTube videos about not judging. Uh, Matthew 7 was, judge not, lest you, you not be judged. James 4.12 is another classic one. It says this, there is one lawgiver who is able to save and destroy. Who are you to judge another? And so we've got these verses, and, and there's, a, there's a couple others that give the idea to, to, well, maybe we're not supposed to judge each other. Maybe we're not supposed to judge at all. And, uh, and so we want to debunk this myth here. But first of all, you know, even our culture would say this. There's commercials out there all about this. In fact, I, I, we have a few commercials for you to watch right now.
Yeah. So, so you don't judge too quickly, guys. All right. Here, here's another one for you. Might want to watch this one. This, this will clear it all up for us. Yeah, and, but in case you're not happy, one more, one more for you. We, we get this. We, we get this, like, uh, feedback from our culture, even commercials, that we're just, we're not supposed to judge. Don't judge. Don't judge me. And uh, I thought you might like a couple of those. I'm never going to eat a candy bar the same way ever again. So this, this thought, what, what happens with this myth of don't, of don't judge me? Are, 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 we, you know, are we allowed to judge other people? All this what happens is, is you usually have two different types of people on, on two different extremes that we end up talking about here. And like on, on one extreme, it's the don't judge me crowd, right? It's, it's those that I want to keep doing what I'm doing. Don't, don't judge me. I, oh, what's right for you may not be right for me. It's this whole, like, relativism thing. And, and you know, like, like there, there's more than one truth. There's no absolute truth. And, you know, moral, morals are for your morals and my morals. They can be different, right? It, it, so, so there's no, no real, real truth. By what standard can an imperfect person judge another imperfect person? Right? You know, you're all imperfect. You can't judge me. You guys are a bunch of imperfect people. We shouldn't really judge you. So you got these extremes. You got these people that, you know, there's no moral absolutes. The fact is, is there is an absolute standard. It's called the Bible, right? And I'm not perfect, but his standard's perfect. And so there is a place of judging. But the other side is this. And, and you, we have to understand this other side. There's another whole extreme person. It's the person that, that thought that they were the sin and poor character police. Right? Oh, may, oh so that's all of you. I get everyone, no, no one gave me any feedback there. Right? You know, you know that person where if they feel it's like their job in life to go around and point out everybody else's faults? Right? To, to make sure that everybody's living up to the standard of the Bible, 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 right? You know? Like, this is, you know, and, and, you know, and, and nothing against the King James Version, but they speak in King James, right? You know? And this is the, this is the person, they're coming around because their, their goal, their, in fact, their calling from God above, 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 is to judge. And to keep us in line and to keep the standard, right? And so you've got these two sides. And I think what's happened is because of these two extremes, especially because of this, you know, the, the person that decides that they want to be the poor character and sin police, we've just decided as Christians, we don't want to be associated with that. So let's just, let's just not judge. Let's just not, like, let's not even go there. We want to be, we want to be the loving ones. We want to be the people that, that everybody likes, right? And you know all this. And, and I'm sorry if you're starting to squirm a little bit. It'll get better. It'll get better. Trust me. And so um, 
we look at this place, like Matthew chapter 7, when, when, when he said, Jesus was talking, he says, judge not, that you not be judged. And so the question is, is did Jesus really mean that we should never judge others? And what we find in this particular passage is that it's not an act of judging, um, but the attitude of which we do it that God's most concerned about. This is a big deal. And this is what we're, hopefully we're going to walk away with this today. Um, in, fact, you, in fact, as we move on, Matthew 7 verse 1 says, Judge not that you, uh, that you be not judged, for with the, the judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. In other words, he's saying, if, you, if you'd like to judge, um, be careful here. Because with the measure you use to judge other people, it'll be measured back on you. In other words, uh, if I judge, then I'm opening myself up to judgment. That if I want, if I want to have the calling of being the, uh, you know, the character police and the poor choice police, then you got to look at my life too. And so here, here we go. First of all, common sense suggests that if no one ever judged um, other people, there would be no human community. Nobody, nobody would be held accountable. We, we would, there, no teacher would ever grade a, a student's um, homework. No citizen would ever sit on a jury or call a failed leader to a, account. I like this quote, and I, I think we might have it on the screen, um, from a guy named Louis B. Smeads. He wrote an article in Christianity Today a while back. He said this, Judgments are opinions that we form only after we have made a serious effort to know the facts. And for those of us who are Christians, only after we have consulted the moral teachings of Scripture and prayed for spirit-informed discernment, any lazy or biased fool can have opinions. Making judgments is the hard work of responsible and compassionate people. I like it. Thanks, Lewis. So common sense indicates that, that Jesus could not have meant that we were never to make judgments. He, he, he couldn't have, have meant that. But we've got to look at it in context here. And so when in Matthew 7, I, this, really, this comes after uh, quite a few encounters that Jesus had already had with the Pharisees, with the religious leaders. And what we see here then is that Jesus, he was, he was trying to draw a, a clear distinction that if you're going to judge like the Pharisees judge, and how did the Pharisees judge? Well, they judged by the letter of the law, but also, they didn't hold themselves to the same standard by which they judged. So they would go around and holding everybody else accountable, but not looking at themselves. And, and so Jesus was, was really saying, if you're going to judge, don't judge that way. Don't judge that way at all. And so, uh, you know, as we, as we move, I don't want to just, uh, you know, use one story. Here's a few other scriptures. In fact, there's all kinds of scriptures. And if you have um, your sermon note, she, I, I put a bunch of other references or actually Leslie put a bunch of other references on there for you. Good job, Leslie. Way to keep us in line. And so I encourage you to just do a Bible study this week, even on your own. Take some of those references and look at it. But here's a few that stood out to me. 1 Corinthians 5, 12 through 13. It says this. It says, For what have I to do with judging those who are, who are outside? Do you not judge those who are inside? But those who are outside God judges. Therefore put away from yourself the evil person. And it is 1 Corinthians 5. And so, it, really, Paul's talking about this. He's, he's talking about those outside the church. 
and, and those that really aren't followers of Christ, those that, those that are living in the world. It's like, man, in fact, another place, it says that, that they stand condemned already because they haven't accepted Jesus. You don't get the benefits of the cross without walking through the cross, Right? And so, so, so Paul's saying, like, like it's, not our, it's not our job to judge those that haven't walked through the cross. They're already standing in judgment, right? Uh, it, it, he's talking about the heaven versus hell deal. Uh, in, in fact, how many know that, that none of us have the responsibility to judge whether someone's going to heaven or hell? Right? There's one judge. We're all going to die someday. I'm sorry. Break the news. You're going to die. And you're going to go someplace. Right. In fact, the Bible talks about in the at the end of Revelation, it talks about a an event that's going to happen. It's called the Great White Throne Judgment, and there's one judge, and he's going to be able to say, "You're out, or you're in." And and all of our the stuff that we've done and all the stuff that we haven't done, we're going to have an account, and there's going to be a judgment. And so we're not talking about that. In fact, Paul's saying they're already judged, they're already standing condemned until they walk through the cross. He's like, but however, those of us that have walked through the cross, there's a level of being able to to judge and keep accountable what's happening in the body of Christ, to to call things out. So we'll go we'll go on here a little bit. John chapter seven. 21 through 24, this is Jesus. Jesus answered and said to them, I did one work, and you all marvel. He's talking to some religious leaders and people standing by. Verse 22, Moses therefore gave you circumcision, not that it's from Moses, but from the fathers, and you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses should not be broken, are you angry with me because I made a man completely well on the Sabbath? Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. I like this because Jesus was saying this. He's saying, go ahead and judge me. Jesus was saying, go ahead and judge me with righteous judgment. He was, he was, he was inviting them to, to look at the fruit, to look at the law, to look at what Jesus was doing. He says, go ahead, but judge me with righteous judgment, was, his, was what he said. Romans 16 Verse 17 through 18 says this, Now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you learned, and avoid them. For those who are, who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by smooth words and flattering speech deceive the hearts of the simple. Just interesting. I mean, I love, I love the warm fuzzies in Scripture. I love all the you know, Holy Spirit goosebumps that come when we're reading. But... We can't just skip by some of the doozies, right? Some of the places that you're like, is that in the Bible? Is that, did he really say that? I mean, there's one place that, in fact, I put the reference on your notes. There's one place where, like, there's, a, there's actually a guy in church that's not dealing with his own sin and brokenness, and, and, he, and he's not repenting, and he feels like, like he's right and all this. And, in fact, he did some crazy, unmentionable sins. And finally, it got to a point where, guess what? They kicked him out of the church. Now, if we did that, we'd be all over the, the hub. We'd be on the news, right? You know? But somehow, like in, in, their, in that culture and in that church, it get, got to a place where they were absolutely allowed to judge the fruit of that person. In fact, so much so that they kicked him out. Isn't that, everyone say, that's crazy. All right. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks for helping me out this morning. 
So in, in this Romans 16 verse, the, he's, it doesn't come right out and say judge, but he's looking, he's, he's saying you can tell. Like when somebody is causing division and dissension among you, like there's, there's absolutely practice here to not allow that to happen and to, and, and, and to call them into account. And I gave you some other verses. So today, this is our main text. Our main text is in Matthew 7, 1 through 5. And we started out here, judge not that you not be judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. But it goes on. Watch, it says this. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite! First, Remove the plank from your own eye, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. It's nice to read the whole context of a scripture, isn't it? Main thought today is this, as we, just as we finish up this message. We will live up to biblical moral standards when we are reminded of our true identity and the greatness that's inside of us. Right? You will. When you're reminded of who you really are, and the greatness that's inside of you, it's like we, we desire to live rightly. So, so here's the question today. This is where we're going to go. When is it appropriate to judge others? When is it appropriate to judge others? And here we got three things. When I'm, number one, humbled by awareness. When I'm humbled by awareness... And in Matthew 7, when we just read this, it's this whole idea of the, of the plank in my own eye versus the speck in someone else's eye. In other words, I need to become aware of my own junk. First, got to be humbled by the awareness that, you know, every single person in this room has a plank in their eye. Every single person in this room has junk going on has sin, has issues, has all kinds of stuff. In fact, I mean, there's probably some things some thought processes that you have that you wish that no one ever knew. There's probably some things that go on between Sunday and Sunday that you wish nobody ever talked about on Facebook, right? There's probably things that you wish that, that weren't ever shouted from the mountaintops. I would imagine in a room this size that there's some things, at least some private things that, that, are, that are going on. And so Jesus is saying, would you first take the plank out of your own eye? Would you just stand in awareness of the struggles that you have, of the things that, that, that you need to lay down at the cross, of your weaknesses, of the sin issues? Would you stand aware of that? Nobody with a plank in his eye can see things clearly. He's dangerously low on discernment. And since we all have this distorted perspective, we need either to be very humble or else leave the judging to God alone. And this is kind of the line. If I can't go here, then I have no business being a judger. If I can't be humble, if I can't allow God to remove the plank and massage my heart and like David, King David said, search me and know me and see if there's any wicked way in me. If I, if I don't do that process, I have no business being the, the uh, character police. I, um, I'm often humbled when, uh, when I'm in like a counseling situation and 
you know, people will come to my office, set up an appointment, it's either a counseling or sometimes a, like a prayer, freedom prayer time. And, and I remember, like, especially like, uh, like premarital or any type of like marriage counseling, and, and they'll come and, and I'll give them all this advice, and then I'll drive home thinking, I should probably take that advice. <laughs> you know? In fact, there, there's been times when, well, you know, when I've been, I'm in these sessions and I'm sitting here given what the Bible says and some good deal, and I'm just like, I remember early on in ministry, I'm like, I feel like a fraud. I feel like, like somebody else should be doing this counseling right now because there's, I, I can see all the junk that's inside me, right? I feel like a fraud, and it, and it took me a while to understand that I'm not a fraud, I'm just human, that I'm just saved by grace like everybody else, right? And if I could stay in that place that I've got junk too and I've got sin too, that I'm, that I'm constantly daily saying, Lord, take and, and refine me. And, and, you know, it's not that as Christians that, that we don't sin. It's that hopefully every day we sin less and less and less, right? And if I can come at that, from that place of man, I am a human being just like this person that's sitting in front of me at this table. And I have the same tendency and, 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 uh, and ideas and, and uh, unhealthy thought processes. And I, I, man, if I wasn't careful, I'd be in the exact same place that they are. If I don't come at it from that place of humility, of taking the plank out first, man, how could I ever see to take the speck out of their eye? Number two, number one was humbled by awareness. If you could be humbled by awareness, you're in a good spot. Number two, motivated by love. What if you were motivated by love? 1 Corinthians 13, our classic love chapter. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and can understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. And it skips down to verse 7. It says, Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. And I, I look at this. this if, what if my motives were love? What if I actually, but you know, that's really not, not where we're at because most of the times our motives are selfish. Is it just me? Or would you agree that most of the time that I want to go and point out somebody else's fault, most of the time that I want to be the judge, right? My motives are not, man, I just really love this person and I just want the, the best for them. And no, it's usually like, you offended me. It's usually like you, you crossed into my safe zone. You crossed into my comfort zone. Like, like something you said, something you did, right? And so, and so it's usually not out of this motive of love. Maybe sometimes. But how often are we going into a situation where we're going to confront? Going into a situation where, where we've got the answer, where we've got the biblical moral standard, and it's not out of love. It's not out of love. Their poor choices affected me or the environment I'm in. I'm motivated by keeping the environment safe from sin and poor choices or any mess that could affect other people. I, uh, my daughter, Kaylee, she's starting to get to this age. She's four. 
well, four and a half. That's a big difference. But she's starting to get to this age where, you know, the whole, when tattling starts, right? Where you, you know, and uh, it's, fu- it's funny to me sometimes. Like, um, like, I think it was even last night. Was it last night where Aria is standing up in her crib and, and Kaylee, and they share a bedroom, and Kaylee's um, supposed to be laying down, and she comes busting into our room. She says, Aria is standing in her crib, right? And first of all, Aria is 11 months old right? There's a little bit of a difference here, but it happens. It happens every once in a while. Well, Aria did this, right? Well, Aria did that, and I'm like, Kaylee, Aria, it, she doesn't know yet, you know? She's, she's 11 months, you know? But I, was, I, I wonder, I mean, is Kaylee motivated by love in that moment, <laughs> right? I just love her, and I'm afraid that she's going to tumble out over the side of the crib, you know, whatever. I'm, I'm you know, I, I love her so much. I, I just, you know, this character issue in her of taking my toys and things like that. I just want her to be a better person, mommy, right? No, it's not. She's not motivated out of love, right? Well, she's motivated by, she's motivated by fairness. She's motivated by, you told me to lay down. She's supposed to lay down. Wait a minute. This is my toy. That's her toy. There's a, how many of us are motivated by fairness? Like, uh, they shouldn't get away with that. They shouldn't, they sh- absolutely shouldn't get away with that. So some of our judging, some of our thing comes out of this place of fairness. I don't want them to get away with it. I, justice. We're motivated by justice instead of love. Hmm. But what if when we felt led to confront an issue or judge a person's behavior, it was actually motivated by deep love and compassion for them? You know, in fact, if it's not, again, I'm going to say we probably shouldn't be the ones judging. If, if I can't get my heart into that place of love, man, I just have no business. If I can't get to the humble place, and if I can't get to the love place, man, I just need to sit on the sidelines a little bit and let the Lord work on my heart before I'm ever in that place of judging. So motivated by love. But here's this last one. Number three. What if we were compelled by greatness? Compelled by greatness. I'm humbled by awareness. I'm motivated by love. But what if I was compelled by greatness? Compelled by their greatness? What if somehow I was able to see what Jesus sees in that person? Now this is the hard one. Because I could, I could love them but not like them, Right? My mom did that a lot with me growing up. <laughs> Some of you moms are like, yeah, I, I get it, I get it, right? Man, I'm motivated by love, yeah, I'm gonna, because I, I do love you and I just want you, you know. But what if we were compelled by greatness? What if somehow we were able to see what Jesus sees inside of that person, that we knew that, man, this person isn't like a dirty, rotten, whatever. Like, this person is, is great, They've got greatness. They've got prophetic destiny. They're, they're, uh, I mean, God's got huge stuff in store for them. If they knew how powerful they were, if they knew how great they were, if they knew their, their true identity, their, the fullness of who God's created them to be, they'd be dangerous. Man, what if like I was compelled by the greatness that was inside you? John chapter 8 tells a story where the religious leaders bring a lady who was caught in the act of adultery. 
In, in fact, my version, I'm reading out of the New King James, it, it says that she was caught in the very act. <laughs> it, it was, it, I mean, it was scandalous. It would have been all over the news. It would have been messy. It would, all of this stuff, you know, that we shouldn't repeat in church. And she was caught, and I don't know if they were waiting for her, and I don't know what happened to the man, too. Like, she was caught. There was, there was another party, takes two to tango, last I learned. And, but she was caught. And I, I still don't understand how that all went down. If they were, if, you know, I, I don't know. But they were, I think she was set up. Whatever it was, I think she was set up. And They bring her, they drag her, and the law of Moses said that she should be stoned to death. And so the religious leaders, they have her there, and they're, again, they're wanting to trap Jesus. They're always wanting to trap Jesus. They want, they want to be able to have legal grounds to arrest him and all this stuff. And so they continue to start asking Jesus all of these things. They're, you know, should, we, should we stone her? You know? what, what should we do here? You know? and, and so when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, Who is without sin among you? Let him throw a stone at her first. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, No, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Man, these religious leaders, man, they had the biblical standard, they had the law. I mean, legally, they were right. <laughs> She, in fact, uh, we don't want to like candy coat this thing. She was wrong. Can we just say she was wrong? I mean, that was, that was messy. That was wrong. That was poor choices. That was sin on every level. And, and that's why she was brought. And they, they were legally, they had, they had legal grounds to do what they were doing. But Jesus had compassion. And he saw something in her that they didn't see. He saw greatness. He saw who she really was. I love Romans chapter 7. Paul is, is just in this real honest moment with us. He, he, start, he talks about, about how there's things that I, that I don't want to do that I, that I do, and there's things that, that I want to do that I don't do. And, I, and he talks about this battle within him of wanting to do the right thing and, not, and ending up not doing the right thing. And, and you could just almost see him like screaming, ah, you know, so frustrated. And as I read Romans 7, I, I, I think of it like this, that, that, the, that who Paul really was didn't want to do any of that stuff, whatever it was. But his old nature, the part that, that, he, that, that was not him anymore, kept wanting to do this stuff. And so there's this identity battle between who I really am and who I'm not. And how often do we start functioning out of who we're not? And I think Jesus, in this story, he saw who she really was. That who she really was would never have been caught in that situation. Who she really was was a daughter of the king of all kings and the lord of all lords. And, and who she really was had greatness inside of her. And so he said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. You've got to understand this. Jesus didn't ignore her sin. 
He just called her above it. He was compelled by her greatness. I preached a message here a while back using the same story and passage, and, and the thought was this, is that Jesus doesn't condemn, but he also doesn't compromise. And we usually find ourselves on one side or the other of this argument where we're, we're ready like these religious leaders to condemn. Or we're over here and say, ah, you know, it's not that bad. It'll be okay. Right? Where we compromise. Where we compromise truth. And somehow Jesus in his wisdom was able to keep the standard of truth and also not condemn at the same time. And he's calling us to do the same thing. Usually we're motivated by this person's poor choices instead of compelled by who they really are. What if we ask God for eyes to see what he sees in the people around us? What if we were able to see their prophetic destiny and, and their greatness? What if when their sin is out there in the open for everyone to see or their poor choices affect you, what if you had a heart to say, that's not who you really are. You were created for more than this. Wouldn't that be awesome? If someone saw me just blow it and they said, Jonathan, that's not who you really are. You were created for more than this. What if we did that to the people around us? Uh, you know, we absolutely need accountability in the body of Christ. Would anybody agree with that? We need accountability. We really do. You know? But here's the issue, is that we limit it often to keeping people accountable from doing something bad, whatever that is. We meet in accountable groups. We, we have our connect groups. We have our one-on-one -on -one times. You know, the girls meet with the girls, and guys meet with the guys. And, and, and did you mess up this week? No? Good. Me either. You know, and we go on to the next thing, you know. And, right? You know, did you do that thing that you said you weren't going to do? No? Good. Oh, yes. Win. You know, and we, and we check, get, check off the list of, you know, I, I kept my accountable whatever this week. But I wondered, what if we took it a step further? What if instead of just keeping people accountable from doing bad, what if we held them accountable to greatness? What if it was accountable to instead of accountable from? What if we had eyes to see what's inside each person that's in this room and at the sound of my voice and we were able to say, you know what? That's not who you really are. Hey, hey, let's talk about how I can keep you accountable to the dreams, the goals, the visions, the destiny that's on your life. Let's talk to me about that. Talk to me about who God's created you to be, and then let me be the person that helps hold you accountable to instead of accountable from. When I first understood this principle, I had to, uh, I mean, it was, it was before, before I came to this church, I don't know, probably within the year before I came to this church, um, so we're, we're probably talking, what, six years ago or something like that, seven years, I don't get my timeline off. I, um, I had been a pastor for a few years. Right now, I think I've been a pastor for like 12 years or something right now. I, I know it doesn't seem like that, but, you know, uh, but my hair shows it a little bit. And I'm starting to get these little gray ones right in my beard. My daughter was pointing that out to me the other day. Anyways, and we digress. But I remember first learning this principle, and I had to actually get on the phone and call people that I used to pastor and tell them I am 
so sorry. Because I had a tendency to keep them accountable from instead of accountable to. I had a tendency to, to uh, point out the, the, the times that they failed instead of um, agreeing with their destiny. I, I, instead of, in fact, I remember this, I ran a, an internship program. I had a bunch of you know, teenagers and, and just out of high school, and we, were, um, we would do, it was a discipleship program, but I remember saying things like this. You know, because we had a handbook. We had, we had some, like a rule book, uh, you know, and, and this rule book, it would say you get to do this, you don't get to do this, and when you do this, this happens and all this stuff. And like I, I remember times where I'd have someone in my office and I would say, um, you know, something to the effect of, of I've got to guard the, the heart and integrity of this program. And because of that, you know, then they'd be in trouble. And there was some truth there, but... I remember just thinking after I started going, you know, the, having this heart change and the Lord started working me over, like, I wasn't caring about that person. I was caring about the program. I was caring about the church and how it made the church look and all this stuff. And, and, and there's, some, there's probably some truth there, but listen, like, what if I was caring more about their heart and who they were becoming than you broke the rule? Bunch of rule breakers, Right? And so I called him, and I was just like, man, hey, I, I just wanted you to know. I didn't know, and now I know, and, and I'm sorry, and, and all this. And, man, phone call after phone call, just booger crying on the other end of the phone. Or some of them were in person, and they just couldn't believe that a leader of the church would actually come and humble himself and say, I'm sorry. So there you go. It's okay to judge if you were wondering, but can you do it this way? Could you first be humbled by awareness? Could you then be motivated by love and take it a step further and be compelled by people's greatness? Let's stand. Pastor Kelly, if you want to come. I was, I was sensing more, you know, there may be some people in this room that would like to get prayer and want to come up and have me or someone else pray with them, and that's, and that's fine. I was sensing a little bit more that God was just wanting you to do kind of business on your own here. And we're just going to go into a time of worship just a, a song or, or two, and you may need to leave, and you're welcome to leave um, as soon as I just pray right now. But I invite you to stay for even just a couple minutes longer and just say, Lord, would you take the plank out of my own eye? Would you search me and know me and see if there's anything in here? Because if we want to respond to this message, that's the starting place, is Lord, Lord, search me. Lord, search me. And if some of you, man, you, you may have things that are going on in your life. You may, need, you may need breakthrough or freedom in an area or whatever, and you want to come up and get prayer. I mean, I, we're totally, totally willing and open to pray with you. But for most of us in here, this may just be a time where you need to do business with the Lord. Does that sound good? Lord, all over this place. Lord, where you start to shift 